Hey, we are starting a new series. It's a three-week kind of Advent series called Enter In. Advent, I don't always know what the Christian words mean, but uh, what that means, I finally figured out, is it's talking about Christmas. Like it's the preseason for Christmas or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's it's talking about Jesus' birth and the season of that, and they call it Advent. And so we're into December, and that means that it's Advent season, and we're not going to light any candles, but we are going to talk about what Jesus has done for us and that the birth of Christ is the beginning of the greatest miracle that has ever happened on the planet, that God the Father would send his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a beautiful story, the story of redemption, the birth of Christ. And what I see is that this very much indicates that God wants to have a relationship with us. To send Jesus here. Jesus wants a relationship with us. And so the point of week one of enter in is that God likes you. So Jesus came here to have a relationship with us, to be our Savior and our Lord. So Lord means that Jesus is our authority. He's our higher power. He is the one that has authority over us. He is our leader, our God, whom we worship and trust and obey. Savior means that he is our rescuer, our redeemer, our deliverer, our healer. He's the one who saves us. He's our Savior. So Jesus came to be our Savior and our Lord. And that is a beautiful relationship, to have a relationship with the Lord and a Savior, the Son of God, to have that reconciliation with God happen, to have that relationship with God. But it doesn't just magically occur. We have to enter into that relationship. We have to respond to the love of God. And so we need to enter into that. And one of the things that can hinder us from entering into a relationship with God is that some people think God doesn't like them. You know, that God is disappointed with them. God hates them. God sees them as flawed and failed and just wants to smoosh them, you know, like, and that's just an unfortunate misunderstanding. It's actually quite terrible. God likes you. He loves you and he likes you. Don't project your insecurity and your self-loathing onto almighty God. He actually likes you. Let's look at the basic idea here. Romans chapter five. Verses 6 through 10 kind of give us the basic idea of how this works. Because let me tell you, God doesn't just see the things you've messed up, doesn't just see the things you've done wrong. He sees who he created you to be and the potential you have to grab hold of that. He doesn't just see your past and your past failures, your present, your present inadequacies. He sees your potential and who he meant for you to be. And he still loves that potential. He loves that person. And he wants you to get into that and grab hold of it. And so he loves you. Let's go to, again, Romans chapter five, starting in verse six. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? There's a two-part deal here. The first one is, what does God do with ungodly sinners. 
God loves ungodly sinners and reconciles ungodly sinners to him. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid that price for us so that we could be reconciled to God. And now Paul is talking to people who maybe feel insecure in their inabilities to follow Christ perfectly. And Paul is saying to them, hey, since we've now been justified, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through Christ? There's still more mercy there. We've been saved. We've been reconciled to God. When we were God's enemies, he loved us and died for us and brought us in. How much more now that we're reconciled to God can our minor imperfections be forgiven? We can have grace and we can continue on in our relationship with God because why would he do that? Because he likes you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Even if you're completely running in the wrong direction, there is reconciliation with God and forgiveness. And if you're walking with God, but it's not quite exactly perfect, there's grace for that too. And so let's realize that God is really extending the olive branch here and working pretty hard to establish a relationship with you because he likes you. Why else would he do that? God likes you and he's rooting for you. Now, one of the problems we can run into in religion is that some people, they know that already. And they try to exploit God because of his love. That's a real problem. God loves you, but you don't want to take advantage of God because of his great love. Don't do that. God likes you, but God will not tolerate being played for a fool. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read the harshest scripture in the Bible, in my personal opinion. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26. This is rather strong. Now, it starts with if we deliberately keep on sinning. So that's different from accidentally sinning or getting caught up in something, but you didn't want to. You know, this is very different from, say, your Romans chapter seven kind of a situation where you want this, but you still get pulled over here. You know, that's not deliberate sin. Deliberate sin is when you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing it. You know, forget it. And you know, God doesn't want you to, but you're like, Well, he'd probably just keep forgiving me anyway, the fool, you know, and you keep on doing that. Like, if that's how you're going to treat God, this is how it goes. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who'd rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All right. So, Jesus loves you. He likes you. But you have to respond appropriately to that. You have to say, oh, thank you. I love you too. Let's have a relationship. But if instead you're like, oh, you love me, do you? Well, can I abuse you like this? And you still love me? Oh, how about this? You know, and like, well, why don't you chase me around a little bit? Like if we're going to mess with God, make him play the fool, try to get him to be an enabler, then it's like he sees through that. He's way smarter than that. We can't make God play the fool and we're the ones manipulating him. That just doesn't work that way. So we got to get serious. We got to get serious with God. Instead of doing what it talks about here, trampling the son of God underfoot, treating as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant and insulting the spirit of grace. Instead, let's honor Jesus. 
We don't trample him underfoot by disregarding what he's done for us and what he's brought us into by just living completely differently from that. We don't want to treat as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant. As we receive holy communion, we honor the Lord. We also speak as holy the blood of the covenant that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood that we might be forgiven and we could enter into a covenant with God, be grafted into that covenant and be the children of God, co-heirs with Christ. That's a holy, holy thing. And so we recognize that. And then it says, you know, insulted the spirit of grace. We want to be grateful for the grace of God and be thankful that he's allowed us to get away from ungodliness and evil and violence and bring us into his good things. And so we want to be grateful for that grace. We don't want to play God as far as manipulating God, trying to make him play the fool. Instead, we want to respond and enter into the love of God because we know he likes us and he's made a way for us. An example of God loving, you know, just bad people. Let's go to the book of Jonah back in the Old Testament. And you might remember the Jonah and the whale thing. We're not going to talk too much about that, but we're going to look at who the Ninevites were that Jonah was supposed to go talk to and what God's thoughts of them were. Now, Nineveh was a violent and evil city. They did all kinds of terrible things, and they were Gentiles, and yet God loved the Ninevites. We see this in the conclusion of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11. God is speaking with Jonah, and he says, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? He cares about the animals, too. That's kind of cool. But he's like, yeah, these people are doing evil. And they're hurting, there's violence everywhere, but it's because they don't know their right hand from their left. They have so much potential. They could step into who they were supposed to be, but instead they're mired in all of this violence and yuck and their hearts are all messed up. If they would just repent, things would change. And so God is seeing their potential, not their past and their present, but their potential. So eventually Jonah goes to Nineveh. You know, if you know the story, it was a process there. And he preaches to them and they repent. So let's see what happens here to this evil city. Jonah chapter three, verse three. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was very large. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah's message was, you're all going to die. Their thought was, let's turn to God in repentance and see what happens. 
They turned to God in repentance and God, who didn't want to destroy them in the first place, he wanted them to live rightly and to not be violent and evil. And so when they turned away from violence and evil, God was like, awesome, good for you. They entered into the goodness of God. That's wonderful. Now, Jonah wasn't so happy about it. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But something bad happened. About 140 years later-ish, somewhere in there, Nahum, another prophet like Jonah, prophesies against Nineveh because they'd fallen all the way back into their evil ways and they're violent and hurting people and doing all kinds of terrible stuff. And they did not repent and Nineveh was overthrown. The Assyrian Empire was conquered at that time and they should have repented again, but they refused. So Nineveh, when they repented and turned to God, God responded. But then they turned away and God responded to that. So God likes us. He responds to our desire to enter into a relationship with him, be forgiven and reconciled to God. But if we refuse that, we can't play him. He sees past it. So don't think you manipulate God or fool him. Turn to God. He likes you. Go ahead and turn to him. Now, I want to go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we've got the famous story of the prodigal son or, you know, the rebellious younger son who takes his inheritance and, and just runs away, wastes it all on wild living. Let's read this and let's get a sense of whether or not God likes this rebellious, terrible sinner of a son. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father sees this horrible son of his off in the distance. You know, he's come over the horizon. He's like, oh, my boy. And he runs out there and he kisses him and he's all happy to see him. Now the son stays in his repentant state. Verse 21, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father interrupts him. He doesn't even get through his whole speech. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So did this younger son deserve the love of the father? No. Did the father love him anyway? Yes. Like he liked him. He was like, oh, it's my boy. And that's how God responds to each of us. He likes us. He loves us. We mess it all up. He still cares about us. The love of the father didn't falter. He loved his son even though. Now, the father loved the son while he was in the foreign land 
wishing he could eat the pig slop, but nobody gave him any pig slop. The father loved him then, but he was stuck in his sin and in his hurt, and he had no benefit from the love of the father. It was only till he returned to his father's house, he came to his senses and was like, I need to enter into my father's house, into the love of my father, into the protection of my father's house. So he turned to God. God brought him in. That's the analogy there. We need to come to our senses and return to God. If God gives you a wake-up call, and go ahead and wake up. Here's a lesson. If you have a prodigal, be like the father. Be worth coming home to. I've seen too many times where a relationship strain between parents and a child, the child goes off, does dumb stuff, and then they peek home to see if they still love them. And they're like, and they, they don't. They just mean uh, and punitive and want to hurt. And now you got a broken relationship. The father here was worth coming home to. You'd be worth coming home to if you got somebody that has wandered off. So isn't that nice? It's beautiful, but it's not the end of the parable. The parable continues. Very interesting. So Jesus includes something in this parable. And so let's look at this older brother, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So the older brother, he's mad. He's like, this isn't even fair. That guy's an idiot. You know, like, he's horrible. You're going to kill the fattened calf for him? What's wrong with you? Older brother's mad. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother did not share the father's heart. Just like Jonah did not share the father's heart. Let's go back to Jonah chapter four, verses one through three. After Nineveh turns to God and they are spared the wrath of God and everything is beautiful and wonderful. Just like after the prodigal son comes home and the father gives them the ring and they throw a party and everything is wonderful. The older brother's all mad. Same thing with Jonah. Jonah chapter four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong that the people of Nineveh would be forgiven. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Isn't this while I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's mad. He's like, you're going to forgive those people. They're horrible. Jonah did not share the heart of the father, just like the older brother did not share the heart of the father. Why would Jesus include the older brother thing? He's telling the parable. He's making this up however he wants to. Why would the Bible include Jonah's attitude? Why not just celebrate and be done? Here's why. It's because God likes you. The people associated with or serving God, however, may not share the heart of the father. Those people may be difficult to deal with. Those people who are associated with God, who are serving God, they may not share the heart of the father. I think it's interesting. I've not seen that parallel before with Jonah, who's all mad that God would forgive Nineveh. 
the older brother who's all mad because the father would forgive the younger son and throw a party for him. The father likes you. God likes you. He loves you. He's made a way for you. But not everybody's going to like you. Man, I wish that was different. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I wish it wasn't like that. I wish that in my life, that people were only encouraging and helping me draw closer to God. But sometimes it's Christians who are the ones who are the most discouraging of your relationship with God. What a mess. This older brother is all mad that the younger brother came home. Jonah, who's all mad that this big city of 120,000 people back then repents. Everybody repents and goes on a fast and turns to God and leaves their evil ways. And Jonah's mad about that. Sometimes the people of God do not share the heart of God. And that's a mess. So if you're a believer, here's the message for you. Make sure you share the heart of God because it's easy to fall into that other thing and not love broken people. Think, oh, you're messing it all up. You're doing this wrong. You know, I'm the one who's doing things right. You're just a disaster. Like, and our culture now is really kind of falling into that. And so as a Christian person, you better not be like Jonah and the older brother. Have the heart of the father for other people. Be a true representative of God in this world. If you're someone who's trying to enter into a relationship with God, but people are getting in the way, then I encourage you, don't let those people steal your joy or hinder your relationship with God. They might not get it. They might not be able to understand the love God has for you, and they may respond poorly, like Jonah, like the older brother. It's nothing new. Don't be shocked. This was happening. 2,700 years ago. And and the parable that Jesus is telling is 2,000 years ago. And this is nothing new that people associated with God or people serving God don't share the heart of God. Stinks. It's yucky. It's ugly. It is a huge hindrance to the gospel. But let me tell you, don't let foolish people rob you of a relationship with God. I had a lot of people say dumb stuff to me when I became a Christian, both non-Christians and Christian people. There was not much encouragement in my life. I'm so glad I didn't let those people have control of my heart, but I loved God, walked with him, trusted him, and said, wow, those people, <laughs> I'm not going to be influenced by their foolishness, and I refuse to be influenced by their foolishness. Now, even to this day as a pastor, of course, I get to deal with all kinds of difficult Christians and in many different scenarios, and it can rob your joy, man, but that's nothing new. And so we need to be faithful to God, love God, and not let people mess it up. So I want you to enter into a beautiful relationship with the God who likes you, who's made a way for you, and not let all the foolishness of people get in the way. So again, this is a communion weekend. We're going to receive Holy Communion together. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. So if if you need some of these communion cups, you can shoot me an email, you know, pastormike at goodhope.ag. I'll make sure we mail out some of these communion cups for you if you'd like to receive Holy Communion with us on the first weekend of each month. So I encourage you to do that. Also, as I said at the beginning, If you are interested in being part of a Good Hope location in East Duluth, shoot me an email, pastormike at goodhope.ag, same email, 
And uh, I want to get to know you and other people so that we can build a team so that we can have a church in East Duluth. So let's go to Revelation chapter three as our closing scripture here to be able to talk about entering into this relationship with God. A verse in Revelation chapter three in one of the letters to the churches, this is in the letter to the church in Laodicea. Verse 20 is just amazing. It says, here I am. This is Jesus speaking. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So we want to enter into a relationship with God. We don't want to be discouraged by people. We don't want to be trying to manipulate God and fool God. We want to just respond to the love and kindness and goodness of God, the God who likes us, and respond, walk with God in this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord, that back in Jonah's day, you didn't just reject the Gentiles, but when the violence and evil was repented for and they stopped doing those things, Lord, your blessings came even to the Gentiles. Lord, thank you that you show your love for people in the parable of the prodigal son. Lord Jesus, telling that story, thank you that you show your love for us who wander off and do dumb stuff. You still love us. But Lord, uh, also in Jonah and in the prodigal son story, We see that Jonah didn't share your heart and that the older brother didn't share your heart. But Lord, we go back to Romans 5 that we read, you love us while we were still sinners, you died for us. And so Lord Jesus, we honor you, we worship you, we praise you. You are our Lord and Savior. The blood of the covenant we hold as a sacred thing. We honor and worship you and the sacrifice you made. And we are grateful for the grace that you have poured out upon us. And Lord, help us to respond to your goodness and love and grace and sacrifice in the way that we should. Not feeling like we've got everything we need, but knowing that if we're hot or cold, if we're just sort of lukewarm, if we're neither hot or cold, but we're just lukewarm that you would spit us out of your mouth. But Lord, instead, help us to grab hold of all the good things you've got for us. Help us to trust you and love you. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done and we honor you. And thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy, your goodness and your love. Guide us into the fullness of your love as we open the door to you and let you in and we enter into a relationship with you. Bless us and encourage us. In Jesus' name. Amen.